0: So last week, Jim gave us uh, an introduction to our Holy Spirit series by uh, encapsulating the subject of the Trinity in, um, in just one talk, and I have the dubious uh, honor of uh, answering another big question, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, these are big theological questions and things that aren't easy for us to wrap our minds around, but that doesn't make them wrong. So this is, this is true of all theology, that um, however hard it is uh, for us to wrap our heads around us, we don't allow our, our notion of what is right and what is wrong to be governed by what we find easy or convenient. Um, we depend upon the revelation of God to to know who God is and what he's like. We don't depend on, on our own um, comfort. That said, it is my job to get uh, to, to help us get a handle on some difficult uh, theological stuff tonight. So I want to kind of offer you a, a guiding rail, as it were, through this talk. Uh, and that is basically the point of this whole thing, this point, the point of this whole talk, and probably the whole of the rest of these talks, is basically worship. By which I mean a dynamic relationship with the living, loving God. If theology does nothing... Uh, but give us a deeper understanding of who God is, then it has failed, it has fallen short. We don't want to just know about God, we want to know God himself. So worship is the point. And James, uh, in his New Testament letter, actually, um, it's quite chilling, actually. He says that even the demons know who Jesus is, right? But they rightly shudder because their response isn't worship. So let's never seek knowledge just simply for the sake of knowledge, but for giving God glory and honor. C.S. Lewis in uh, the Screwtape Letters, which is a fantastic, um, humorous look at uh, demons who are trying to tempt um, humans. Screwtape, the master demon, is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, and says, "As as, um, As soon as your subject prays this prayer, you've lost. And the prayer is this, Not to what I think thou art, but to what thou knowest thyself to be. So in other words, not to my idea of God, but to God himself. So that's what we honor, that's what we revere. So that's the guiding rail and the point of this talk. And the reason reason I offer that now, um, like I say, these big theological questions can often give rise to the bigger question of so what. And I want to offer you the so what before we even begin. The so what is so that we can know God more And as we meander through these questions, um, it's not always easy to know the direct link between the idea and the worship. So we just want to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. So, today, today's question, who is the Holy Spirit? And in that question lies a big part of the answer. The question is who and not what. I always loved Star Wars uh, growing up, but the Holy Spirit is not The Force. I'm sorry to uh, disappoint you when you thought you were going to get a lightsaber when you became a Christian. Um, So what is the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Force? I got nine points. No, sorry, I'm just... (laughs) So Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, Jedi Master describes the force as an energy field that's created by all living things. And although we don't speak about the Holy Spirit that way, because God is not created by living things, but creates living things, uh, I think sometimes we, we think about the Holy Spirit in that way. We think about the Holy Spirit as, as kind of the, the energy or the force that comes from God, rather than a distinct person of the Trinity Himself. Sometimes we think of God maybe as the brain and the Holy Spirit as the kind of electrical impulses that the brain sends down the nervous system. But the Holy Spirit is as much a person within the Godhead as is the Father and the Son. So why is this important? Why is this personhood of the Spirit important? I think it's helpful to think about how we relate differently to people as opposed to things. And helpful in this uh, regard was a guy called Martin Buber. He's a Jewish philosopher, and he came up with this terminology of I-thou rather than I-it. And I'll try and explain this a little bit. An I-it relationship is is utilitarian. It's like, I have an I-it relationship with this microphone. I'm using it to help project my voice uh, to this room. An I and it relationship is a monologue. It's, uh, it's, it's just me speaking. The microphone doesn't speak back to me unless it's feeding back, in which case those guys need a bit more training. But with, <laughs> with another person, I ought to have an I and thou relationship. In an I and thou relationship, there's dialogue. An I and thou relationship is one of mutual, uh, reciprocal. Respectful interchange where there's self giving and receiving and vulnerability and risk and communion and bonding. And what Buber was trying to point out with this philosophy was that we sometimes relate to one another in an I it rather than I thou manner. We treat each other, we relate to one another only insofar as we are useful to one another. Now, it it would be great to think about that a little bit more, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I just want to think about how we often relate to the Holy Spirit in an I and it way. I think sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as uh, the method or the tool that we use to connect with God the Father or God the Son. It's almost like God the Father in heaven sent his Son down to kind of install a Wi-Fi system. Right, and he kind of went back up. And the Holy Spirit is this kind of oh, is that me popping? It's oh oh fireworks, raisin, raisin shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, like 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 the Holy Spirit is some kind of Wi-Fi that we use to connect with God. But the Holy Spirit is not a Wi-Fi signal, because that would make the Holy Spirit just a, a tool, a tool for our communication with God. The God that we know reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God, real, present with us here and now. So we must find a way to relate to him in a more personal way. And a very brief side note on uh, personal pronouns. The descriptions of the Spirit in the Bible are not as gender-specific as uh, the Father and the Son. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, our Old Testament, the uh, Word for spirit, which is ruach, is normally uh, treated as a feminine uh, noun, and uh, in the Greek, it's normally neuter, which is neither feminine nor masculine. So it might st- seem a little strange to use him and he in describing the spirit, but by choosing to do that, I'm basically adopting the language of Jesus, which we're about to look at when he talks about the Holy Spirit. So I'll say him and he when referring to the spirit, rather than he, uh, rather than sorry, her and she, or it, and they, uh, simply because, um, on the one hand, we need to emphasize that the Spirit is a personal being, not an impersonal one, but I want to just sound that warning that I don't want to ascribe a maleness to the Spirit, that the the Bible doesn't, uh, nor do I want to stray too far from the example of Jesus using him and he, so that's the line and walking, so to the Scriptures. The most direct teaching about the person of the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus himself in chapters 14 to 16 of John, which I'm going to read to you now uh, in little segments. Chapter 14, verse 15 to 17, can we have that up? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And just jumping to 23. Those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make, make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the words that you hear are not mine but from the Father who sent me i said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then jumping uh, through sections of 15, you better check that I'm just not doing an injustice to the text here. I just don't want to have to read up three whole chapters. But uh, go and look at the whole dialogue um, as he's... um, Uh, speaking to his disciples just the the, the night of his betrayal. And uh, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And just a few more verses from chapter 16. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's so much uh, to unpack here. But the main feature of this teaching that I want to draw out this evening is the the personal nature of God. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate, or other translations use uh, words like helper or counselor or comforter. And it's quite clear that none of these titles or roles describe an inanimate, unsentient, Impersonal force or energy, but actually are a traits of a living, dynamic, sentient, relational, rational being, person. And the, the word in Greek that's usually translated, that's variously translated, advocate, helper, so on, is paraclete, which immediately makes me think of some brightly colored tropical bird, but that's, that's completely irrelevant. Um, <laughs> One way to answer the question, to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit, would be to study this word, to study this word, Paraclete, um, and all the nuances of meaning that it has. But I want to pick up on another crucial word that Jesus uses when he introduces the Paraclete. So in fourteen, uh, in John fourteen, verse sixteen, he says, "I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Paraclete to be with you forever." And the word I really want to pick up on here is another. The point is that the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to his disciples. Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm the first paraclete. Here comes another paraclete. So in order to understand who the Holy Spirit is, we do well to study the relationship that Jesus has with his followers. The intimacy of relationship that Jesus had with his disciples is taken over by the Holy Spirit and is taken even deeper. Jesus uh, was given the title and name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then after his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit then adopts that position but comes even closer. He's no longer God with us. He's now God in us. So if we want to think about how we relate to the Holy Spirit, one great way is to look at the life of Jesus. And then take away all the limitations that a human body imposes upon Jesus' ministry. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was basically the ministry of Jesus going large. The person of the Holy Spirit comes and directly inhabits those who both then and now choose to be disciples of Jesus. Which is why Jesus, when he knows he's leaving, says, It's actually to your advantage that I go away. It seems a strange thing to say. But it's to our advantage so that God can come even closer than he ever has before. Jesus, uh, John's gospel describes as the word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. The Holy Spirit is God entering our flesh and dwelling in us. How freaking awesome is that? Say that again, the Word of God made flesh, God with us. The Word of God made flesh, God with us. And now the Holy Spirit is the Word of God entering our flesh and dwelling in us. So we've got to deal here with some tricky questions of Trinity. If we're talking about the Spirit, how can we then say, we're meeting with Jesus. How can we say, for example, how can we sing, I want to see your face. I want to see your face. What does that mean? How, does it, how can we see the face of Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus was. And so if the Spirit is with us, then so too, in some mysterious way, is the Son. And so too, in a mysterious way, is the Father. The Father and the Son are still in heaven, but they're also present because the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole, but that's a, that's a, that's a fun one. Jesus tries to describe it to um, to his disciples in John 14. He says, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. How will you see me? You'll see me because the Spirit is going to come and make Jesus present to you. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. It's very esoteric language, but he's talking about the way that the Holy Spirit dynamically dwells within us and is so Jesus present with us, in us. And then uh, uh, later on in verse uh, 22, Judas, not the baddie, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus says, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. My Father and I will love them and come to them and make our home with them. He's talking in the, in, in, in the, um, in the plural. We will come and dwell. And these words that concern uh, indwelling and making home in them, this is deliberately intended to evoke the image and the language of the temple. The temple is a theme that runs from the first page of the Scriptures to the last, and that's because the temple is the image of God's presence in and with his creation. So it starts in Eden, the first temple where Adam walks with God. It moves to the tabernacle and the temple where God's presence was manifest, and then to the man Jesus, who described himself as a temple, because of the fullness of God that lived in him, and then to the future eternal city where uh, God's presence so permeates the whole city uh, that it's entirely temple. But in that description of the temple theme, I missed out a step, and that's the step that we currently experience, the post-Pentecost temple of the Holy Spirit that is both the gathered community of believers and the individual believers who make it up which is basically us, right here and right now. So we are the temple. We are the temple, you are temples. That's kind of what Paul is saying in both First and Second Corinthians. He says, uh, do you not know that your body, singular, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And in 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, we are the temple of the living God. For as God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That second quote draws from and interprets the incredible vision of the prophet Ezekiel, and it's to Ezekiel that I want to go next before coming into land. Ezekiel was a priest whose concern was the reestablishment of the temple as the dwelling place of God's presence, and the restoration of Israel as God's true worshippers. And in chapter 37 of his amazing prophetic book, which uh, is proto-apocalyptic, which means I get excited about it, um, <laughs> uh, e- e- Ezekiel uh, says these things. I'm just gonna, We're going to have the words up on the screen, but I'm just going to kind of comment along the way, draw out some parallels for how we see Ezekiel's vision, finding confirmation and fulfillment in Jesus and in the post-Pentecost church. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. And I just want to stop right there and say, here we already see the Holy Spirit working on Ezekiel in the same way as we see uh, the Spirit acting upon Jesus. In Matthew 4.1 and Luke 4.1, It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Mark is even more direct. He says, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And I just want to pause right there and just sort of say something about the word Spirit, which actually, in both Hebrew and in Greek, means simultaneously wind and breath. Both words are translated spirit, but could could equally mean both of those. So this could equally be legitimately translated, he brought me out by the wind of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. So imagine Ezekiel, he's just kind of like doing his, you know, going about his daily business, and then whoop, he's kind of caught up by this wind and plopped down in the middle of this valley that is full of bones. He, that is, the Spirit, led me all around them. There were many dry bones lying in the valley. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you. And you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel goes ahead and he prophesies exactly that to these dry bones and the Holy Spirit does exactly that. The breath of God, the Ruach or the Pneuma or the Holy Spirit enters into these bodies and makes living what was dead. And then God gives some further words of explanation. He says to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves, bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And then later he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. So remember Jesus said, when he's describing the Holy Spirit, it's my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. And I will bless them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary among them forevermore. There's that temple language again. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This right here in Ezekiel is the gospel. Basically, God wants to crack open the graves of those who have died. For us, We're talking about graves of despair, of loneliness, of self-sufficiency. Without his breath in us, we are destitute and our hope is lost. But because the Holy Spirit is here right now testifying to the love of the Father and to the life of the risen Lord Jesus, we have a hope. And these words in Ezekiel have been fulfilled. In the persons of Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit and they are being fulfilled in and through the church there's this language of uh, bringing us back to um, the the land that God has for us, that is a future hope but God has actually given us his spirit but that uh, difficult concept of both now and not yet I'm going to sort of i kick the can down the road and Jeremy can pick that up next week when he talks about the kingdom and the now and the not yet. But this is what God does. He is in the business of raising the dead to life. He's in the business of raising all of creation back to new life in the future. So tonight, I just want us to recognize this clear biblical truth, that God, the Holy Spirit, is right here among us right now. He comes to reveal Jesus. He comes to reveal the Father. Through the Spirit, we can know God closer than a lover, closer even than our own selves. But he doesn't go where he isn't invited. He could, but he doesn't. He's gentle, he's kind. He won't enter unwelcomed. Sometimes, um, I think, and this is a biblical way of thinking about the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes we think of ourselves as containers into which the Holy Spirit, which is. Uh, a liquid or an oil even, uh, is poured. And um, I don't remember who it was that said, um, you know, I leak, so I need constant refilling of the Spirit. But this idea of God as, uh, as the Holy Spirit, as breath or wind, demands another image. And that is one of perhaps hoisting a sail to catch the wind so that we are propelled into the mission that he has for us, in the power that he has to give us. So these are active measures that we need to take. It's not simply enough to try and do stuff for God. He invites you to be a dwelling place for his own Holy Spirit so that he can actually propel you to more. As he lives in us, he makes new what has become corrupt. He brings back to life what once has died. He brings hope and restores that which has uh, fallen prey to disappointment and loss and hurt and grief. And that power of God is present right here, right now. So we're going to leave some space right now to invite the Holy Spirit to come. So I invite you to stand. We're going to spend just a moment... Just meditating on um, the idea of Jesus as um, as closer to us than he ever was with his disciples, and we don't need we don't need to crank up the music just yet. We don't even need to dim the lights because he is God. He doesn't need our help. Holy Spirit, come.